Bibles, please open to the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. Very excited today as we come to start a new series on the book of Proverbs. We're in Proverbs chapter 1, today looking at the first seven verses. And if you were able, I'll ask you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Pray with me, please. Lord, this is your word. As we approach it, we acknowledge it to be the God-breathed, Aaron, infallible word of the living God. Lord, I pray that now you would remove every distraction that might be in our minds or our hearts, the emotions of the day, that we might focus upon worshiping you through the preaching of your word. Spirit, direct us, we ask. If there's one here who doesn't know Jesus, Lord, work in that one's heart today. For the believer here today, grow us and challenge, mold us and shape us through your word, we pray. We offer you praise. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as most of you know, over the past year here at Redeemer, we have looked at several books of the New Testament. About a year ago, we started a series on the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and we spent a, a while there. And when we stopped that, we picked up the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we looked at every single verse of, of all of those books. Well, now we're going to turn our attention to the Old Testament. We're going to turn our attention over the next several weeks to the genre of wisdom literature as we look at the book of Proverbs. You know, over the last few weeks, I've asked several people, have you ever been to a church who had a sermon series on the book of Proverbs? And while many churches have studied Proverbs, maybe in a Sunday school class or in a small group, I still haven't found one person who said that their church went through the sermon, a sermon series on Proverbs for Sunday morning worship. I, I know people have done it, but it seems like that might be few and far between. But no matter, we are going to set our hearts and our minds towards studying this great book of wisdom literature over the next few weeks. So today we want to begin in sort of an introductory way to the book of Proverbs. We want to look at the background of this book, but we also want to examine the first seven verses of Proverbs. So today, as we begin our introduction to the book of Proverbs, I want you to see four main points this morning, and here they are. First of all, we're going to look at the basics of the book. Secondly, we're going to ask, who is the audience of Proverbs? Thirdly, What are the purposes of Proverbs? And then finally, 
what is the foundation of this book of Proverbs? So the basics of the book, the audience, the purposes, and the foundation of Proverbs. But let's start very simply with what are the basics of this book? And in looking at that point, I want to answer four simple questions. What, how, who, and when? The first question, what? What is a proverb? As we look into answering that question, we find that a proverb is simply a short, pithy statement that contains God's truth. And although it's very short, a proverb is packed full of meaning because it's based on a long-term experience. In other words, there's been a lot of time, effort, and energy behind one short little pithy proverb statement. Well, the second question is how. How was this book composed? When we study Proverbs, we find that it has two main parts. The first is chapters 1 through 9, and the second is chapters 10 through 31. Now, as we study 1 through 9, we're going to find that those are longer discourses that have more continuity with each other. They, they're, they're bigger sections. But chapters 10 through 31, are there, that's more of the short, pithy statements. And these statements are to be seen through the grid of what you just read in chapters 1 through 9. But we're going to find when we get to 10 to 31, those shorter, pithier statements, they're going to show us the great contrasts of life. For instance, they're going to show us the wise son versus the foolish son, or the boy who brings joy to his father versus the boy who brings grief to his mother. In other words, the big picture of life. So that's the how question. How about the who? Who wrote Proverbs? Certainly, we know that most of the Proverbs were written, as this text teaches us, by King Solomon. He was the son of David. Here in chapter 1, it talks about King Solomon writing this book. It says it in chapter 10. It says it in chapter 25. So we believe that Solomon was the one who wrote most of this book. But at the end of the book, we get to chapter 30 and 31, and those are attributed to two other people, Agur and King Lemuel. History doesn't tell us much about either man, but we can see that primarily it was through Solomon and these two men who wrote the book of Proverbs. Well, then finally, when? When was Proverbs written? Well, we know that Solomon lived in the 10th century B.C., so most of the book was written then. But chapter 25 teaches us that in the time of Hezekiah, there were men, there were men of Hezekiah who came and they copied the Proverbs to, put the, to, to clearly put the book together. So we can see that this book was written somewhere between 1,000 and 700 B.C., and it was all put together during that time. But we certainly can say that it was written before the Babylonian exile of 586. Well, that's just a little information, the little basics of the book, the, the what, the how, the who, and the when. Well, let's transition now to that second point. We've seen the basics of the book. Secondly, we ask, who's the audience? Who should be listening to the book of Proverbs? Look with me at verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, To give prudence to the simple 
knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Who's the audience? According to Proverbs, the first audience is the simple, the young. And by simple, it means the naive, the unlearned, young people. We know that this is a stage of life that everybody in this room has gone through, right? In fact, it's a stage, if we look around, that our children and our teenagers, they're going through this stage right now. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> this is talking about people who don't have a lot of experience. People who are going to lack wisdom and lack judgment. A stage of life where you're open to enticement. When you're open to temptation. Now we need to say something about being naive. It's not inherently wrong to be naive. Because all of us start that way, right? We're not born wise. We are all born in a state of youth and being naive. So what the Bible is saying is that it's not inherently wrong to be naive, but what it's going to teach us is it's going to be wrong if we stay naive. So Proverbs is first of all written to those who are young and naive and they need to learn the value of wisdom. But secondly, did you notice what verse 5 said? It says not only is this book written to the young and the naive, it's written to the wise. Look at that. Verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. The Bible's going to teach us through this book that the wise person, as he or she goes through life, he or she is always going to be open to receiving good counsel. Wise counsel. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to get to Proverbs chapter 9. I can't wait for that. In Proverbs chapter 9, right in the middle of the chapter, so I'm giving you a little peek here, right in the middle of that chapter, it's going to talk about the difference between a fool and a wise man. And you can determine the difference on the way they accept rebuke. It's going to say, if you rebuke a foolish man, he's going to come at you. He's going to strike you. But if you rebuke a wise man, he's going to receive it. He's going to receive it with gladness. And he'll actually step forward and shake your hand and say, thank you for correcting me. I needed that. Because the Proverbs are written to the wise that so they may might increase in learning. So yes, the naive and the young, but also the wise. But there's one more. We're going to have to peek ahead just a little bit to see this third one. Look at verse 8. We didn't read it this morning, but look at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. What does that tell us? The family. The family structure. That God wrote these proverbs to be taught in the context of a family. Where a a father 
and a mother takes their children and gathers them to teach them, to instruct them in the ways of God. The family unit is the basic core place where this teaching should, be, should, should go forth. So fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, hear these words, see the impact that Proverbs should have in your life and to your posterity. So now that we have seen the basics of the book, the audience of Proverbs, let's now go to our third point this morning. What's the, what's the purpose? What are the purposes of the book of Proverbs? This morning I'm going to give you two. Two purposes out of Proverbs. The first one is found in verse 2. Let's look at it. Verse 2 says, to know wisdom and instruction. So the first purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom, and I'll add this, for the purpose of holy living. To know wisdom for holy living. Now, if you do a word study on this word wisdom right here in verse 2, there's a picture, a word picture that, that comes up behind the word wisdom. And the word picture is the ability to do a job well. The ability to do a job well. This word was used in Exodus of those who made Aaron's garments, because Aaron was the high priest, that it took a lot of skill to make his garments. So that word for wisdom was used of those people. It was used in First Kings of those who crafted metal. That those people who did that work spent a lot of time and effort working to hone their skill. You see, these are people who didn't just learn something overnight. These are people who took time and energy and effort and mastered a craft so they could make Aaron's garments, so they could work with metal. Who do we think of when we think of people like that today? You know, some of us might think of the pianist. You hear this beautiful music from a pianist. She's, she's playing on stage and it looks effortless. Yet you look at that, you hear that, you you, you hear it, and you know that that didn't just happen overnight, did it, Beth Joy? There was a lot of practice that went in. And I'm not talking days or weeks. I'm talking years for that lady to get to that point. Or the medical doctor who's able to make a split-second decision to save someone's life. By the way, I witnessed this personally in my own life. Several years ago, my son Brock had to be rushed to the hospital. His oxygen had dropped really, really low. And I had no idea what to do for him. And I watched this ER doctor. I watched these nurses make split-second decisions that help save his life. But I know that they spent hours, years, studying to the point where they could get to make that decision. They had put in the time and they had perfected their craft. You think about the athlete who maybe on the biggest stage performs to the top of his ability. You know, I'm a sports guy, so I'll tell you this one story. Super Bowl 46. It was the second time the Giants played the Patriots. And the Giants were down. You remember this? And they're driving down the field. Eli Manning is leading the Giants down the field, and he's backed up. He's, he's losing. It's the fourth quarter. And he drops back to pass, and 
No one was open short, so he looked long. And he threw this amazing pass. And being a football guy, I'll explain what happened here. He threw it behind the corner and to the outside of the safety, to a spot on the field where only his guy could catch the ball, a spot where his guy was going to catch the ball or the ball was going to go out of bounds, but it wasn't going to be intercepted. And we know what happened. A guy named Mario Manningham caught that ball. He put two feet down, and the Giants got a first down. And through that drive, they won the football game. And after the game, the reporters went up to Eli Manning, and they said, Eli, tell us about this pass. They said, Eli, did you have anxiety about throwing that pass? Did did you wonder where you should plant your feet, or did you wonder how far you should throw that ball? Tell us about this pass. And Eli said, no, I didn't wonder any of that. He said, don't you know I've thrown that pass thousands and thousands of times every week in practice? You see, when I had to throw that pass, I had great muscle memory. My feet knew where to go. My arm knew how to throw. I knew exactly where to place that ball. No, I didn't think. I thought in practice. Because when I'm performing, it's time to show the skill. And you see a professional athlete do something perfectly. And it shows you that people like the pianist, the doctor, the football player, they didn't just learn this stuff overnight. There was so much time put in behind all three of these people. And it shows us how they were devoted to doing a skill well. Well, what does that have to do with Proverbs? You see, the kind of skill that Proverbs is teaching us about, it might not specifically be for playing the piano or for for throwing a touchdown, for making a medical decision. But the Bible says that Proverbs teaches us wisdom skills for life. For life. You see, Proverbs is going to speak into your life and teach you how to perfect skills and have wisdom for your relationship with God, your relationship with your friends, your finances, your work ethic, the words that you use, the relationships in your family. Proverbs is going to teach you the skill for living. And just like that piano player, that doctor, that football player, wisdom and skill for life, they're not gained overnight. You just can't say, hey, I'm going to be a pianist, a doctor, a football player, and that's it. You just can't say, I'm going to go perfect life. The Bible says hard work must be put in. Discipline, instruction. One commentator says it this way. Listen to this. He said, one does not gain, one does not gain wisdom merely by being zapped from above. Rather, the godly person acquires wisdom for living through the disciplined study of God's Word, thereby establishing a pattern of wise choices in life. And just like a doctor would perfect his skill through years of medical school, even a hospital internship, we are called to apply the wisdom of Proverbs in the laboratory of life. But here's what's really neat about this. And this is a point I don't, I don't only want to drive it home right now, but for this whole series. 
is that once we learn to be wise from the book of Proverbs, one of the great blessings that comes from wisdom is that you can discern the good from the bad, the right from the wrong, the folly from the wise man. You can discern that before. Did you hear that? You can discern before you fall into disastrous sin. Wisdom allows you to see the consequences, the results of sin before they happen in your life. In other words, you don't have to be a drug abuser to know the consequences of using drugs. You don't have to be unfaithful to your wife to know the consequences of adultery. You don't have to be a thief to understand the consequences of stealing. You don't have to be lazy to understand the consequences of slothfulness. Jesus taught this way. We're going to put a couple verses up on the screen. Listen to this. This is Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7. You see, Jesus teaches us to see the end from the beginning. To see the end from the beginning. Look at this text. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You see, Jesus says, look at the end of the road from the beginning. Right here, the Bible says you've got a wide gate and a broad road. And you've got a small gate and a narrow road. He says, let's look at the wide gate and the broad road first. You look at that road, the gate is wide, the road is broad. Look at it. There's a lot of people on that road. There's a lot of people on that road. And you know what? You might be tempted to get on that road because everybody else is on that road and there's safety in numbers. So you put yourself on the road. But Jesus asks, did you take time to look at the end of that road? Did you take time to see where you're going? Because get your binoculars out and look down that road. What do you see? Jesus says you see destruction. You see disaster. Yeah, you're going to be tempted to get on that road. It's wide. There's a lot of people there. But see the end from the beginning and make a choice. Do you want to be on that road? Because there's another road right over here. Its gate is small. It's, its way, it's, it's narrow. In fact, you might not even see it. It's hard to find. Because not a lot of people are on that road. Not a lot of people are going to, to come over here and gather. And you might be tempted to go over there. But why don't you come over here and get your binoculars out. And look down, look down that road with me. What's at the end of this road? It's life. That's eternal life. Do you see it? Do you see the end of the road? You see, Jesus is saying to his people, make a choice. Which road are you on? Are you on the wide, destructive road? Or are you on the road that is small and narrow and leads to life? Can you see the end from the beginning? Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, Jesus urges us that we make the vital decisions of life when we make those decisions to think things through 
to their inevitable consequence first? Does it lead to destruction or does it lead to life? The second purpose is to have discernment. To have discernment. Look at verse 4. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Discernment or discretion. What is that? Discernment is simply the ability to read between the lines to make good and right decisions. Blair, a few moments ago, read that most of that chapter from 1 Samuel 25. I appreciate your patience with that. that I, I did that to Blair. <laughs> Had him read that entire text, but I wanted you to hear it. It was the story of Nabal and Abigail. The story of two different types of people. Verse 3 of that chapter says that, Na- that, uh, that Abigail was discerning, but her husband Nabal was not. And here's what happened that day. David, King David, had sent some men to Nabal's house. And they greeted him and they asked a request of him. But the Bible says that Nabal railed at them. The word picture behind that is vicious yelling. And there was a young man there that day who heard what Nabal did to David's servants. And he ran and told Abigail. And Abigail, the Bible says, made haste because she knew what was going to happen. She knew what King David's reaction to her husband's foolishness would be. So she made haste. As Blair read a moment ago, she gathered bread, wine, sheep, grain, raisins, and figs. She quickly ran down to the point on the road where she knew David would be passing by because no king is going to take a reaction like Nabal gave them very well. And she waited for King David to come. She knew that she was going to pay for her husband's foolishness. And the Bible says that that day David came down the road and what did Abigail do? Abigail threw herself at the feet of David in humility. She took complete responsibility for all the things that happened. She acknowledged the foolishness of her husband and then she asked David something. She said, will you please forgive us? And what was David's response? David was a man of war. And listen, he was on his way, on his way to give payment for what Nabal had just done. But David said, blessed are you, Abigail. He said, if you had not hurried down to meet me, your whole family would be dead. The Bible says that Abigail returned to her house that night. She probably thought about telling Nabal what what happened. But the Bible says that she found Nabal drunk and partying. So the next day when he was sober, Abigail went to Nabal. And she told Nabal the story of what happened the day before. And the Bible says his heart sank. And ten days later, the Bible says that God took Nabal's life. You know, as we sit back and look at that story, we see a story of discernment. On one side, we see Nabal, who had absolutely no discernment at all. Nabal refused to know what he should rightly know about David. He acted 
with no knowledge, he acted with anger and a lack of humility. And his poor response just about killed him and his entire family. But Abigail, she acted with wisdom and discernment. Abigail's perception of her king and her husband were spot on. She didn't waste any time, but she acted on what she knew. She embraced humility. She took responsibility. She showed her devotion and commitment uh, to the king. And not only did that lead to the survival of her family, but if you read further, David praises God for, for Abigail and says, God, thank you for sending that lady into my life because she kept me from sinning. She kept me from taking revenge on this guy, and that would have been wrong. And we see the difference in discernment. Acting without knowledge, acting with knowledge, acting without wisdom, acting with wisdom. That's what the Proverbs are here for, to give us discernment. So finally, our last point. What is the foundation? The foundation of Proverbs. Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me make sure I say something as we set out to study this book. The book of Proverbs is not a how-to book. It's not. It's not Solomon's best efforts on how to get through life. It's not. This book is centered not on how-to, but on your relationship with God. And that is so clear from verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, what does that mean, that phrase, the fear of the Lord? Well, it certainly doesn't mean having terror or fright of God, but it is simply having a reverent awe of God and a worshipful response to Him who is our Creator and our Redeemer. And as we read the Scriptures, you know what we find? You can't have an awe for God and a worshipful, worshipful response to God without knowing God. And you can't know God apart from Jesus Christ. One commentator said, said it this way, to fear God is to know God. And as we read the Scriptures, we find that Jesus is not only a, the way to heaven, but knowing Jesus personally is eternal life. Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is life that you know Jesus Christ whom the Father has sent. A relationship with Christ. So the beginning of knowledge, beloved, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The New Testament repeats this several times. In 1 Corinthians it says, Jesus is the wisdom of God. In Colossians, which was our call to worship today, it says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So to have the fear of the Lord, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord? Because without Jesus, you cannot have the proper fear of God. You can't acknowledge Him as your Redeemer without Jesus. 
But as this verse teaches us, there's a lot of contrasts in Proverbs. And there's a big one here. Because verse 7 not only says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but what's the last part? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What this is teaching us is that foolishness is not just part of the mental aspect of someone's life. That there's a hard aspect. That foolishness is someone who rejects God. Foolishness is someone who rejects what God teaches them in His Word. These people we find are unteachable, proud, rude, angry, and they have no idea that they don't know what they should know. They have no idea that they don't know what they should know. Spurgeon said it this way. Wisdom is not just a collection of facts. To know is not to be wise. He said, many men know a great deal and are greater fools for it. But there is no fool as great as a knowing fool. You see, the Bible says that all knowledge has to be seen through the grid of the fear of God. And the fear of God only comes through Jesus Christ. And the person that rejects Christ, the person that rejects God, is acting like a fool. So what's the conclusion? (laughs) Don't be a fool. Beloved, as we close today, We need to acknowledge something about our society. Our children and our teenagers in this society are being taught everything but the fear of God. Our children, our teenagers are being taught materialism, hedonism, emotionalism, pragmatism. And the wisdom that comes from God's spiritual values are tossed out the door. They're not even acknowledged. So my first conclusion is for parents. Starting with this guy right here. Parents, we need to be resolved to teach our children the fear of God. We need to teach them what God has done in Jesus Christ. A relationship with Him that they need to live under the rule and reign of Christ and see all the world through that grid. The fear of the Lord. We need to train our children in wisdom. Just like that pianist, that doctor, that football player. They didn't learn everything overnight, did they? It's the same with our kids. It's not just one day or one week. It is years of training that we as parents are called to give our children. And we saw there's a family context here. There's fathers and mothers sitting down with their children to train them in righteousness. That's a call for parents and grandparents. Secondly, to our church Our church needs to recognize that our culture slams us with man-centered influences that come from everywhere. And we as a church cannot pander to them. We cannot replace the wisdom of God with the wisdom of this world. So we need to be resolved as a church to teach wisdom and discernment that only comes from knowing God. And as we walk through this study together, I want you to know that the Bible is going to call every one of us to make a choice. Proverbs is going to push you to make a choice. Jesus said it this way, there is a wide gate and a broad road on this side. 
There's a small gate and a narrow road on this side. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the fear of God and wisdom? Or are you going to choose foolishness and folly? Make a choice. Can you see the end from the beginning? Can you have the ability to look down that road and see what's going to happen so that your life doesn't have to struggle with the disastrous effects of sin and that you can make a wise choice? Do you see the difference between a Nabal and an Abigail? The foolishness, the lack of wisdom on one side, the discernment on the other. Make a choice. As verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Dear church, don't. Don't be a fool. Let's pray.